Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. This week on episode two of the Strike Zone podcast, we start in the Big Apple. Big changes and big time moves coming for the New York Yankees. We discuss that on this week's show. Plus a conversation with Chicago Cubs, double A and spring training voice, Mick Gillespie. We'll get the lowdown on the NL Central and those Chicago Cubs coming up. And also we take a look 45 years back at one of the greatest pitching performances in the history of baseball. This is the Strike Zone Podcast. Hit well out towards right field. This one climbing at altitude. This one is gone. With news and notes from around Major League Baseball. Fires drives one in the air down the line and left. It's got a chance. Gone. Rounding the bases with the hottest topics from all 30 teams. Swung on, drilled to deep right. It is high. It is far. It is gone. It's a three-run home run for the Santino. And here's your host, Will Bowling. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Strike Zone. Right here on 104.5 The Zone, wherever you're listening, on Apple, on Google Play, on Stitcher, or maybe you're on the website at 104.5 The Zone. Thanks so much for joining us this week for The Zone's weekly baseball conversation. If you missed our first episode, it's back there on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as they call it now, and it's also archived there on 104.5 The Zone. Had a big topic last week about the home run rate in Major League Baseball. I promise that if you've bared with us through the first episode, this one's not going to make you think as much. So <laughs> that's that's probably good news. Um, but excited to continue rolling this out. I am your host, Will Bowling, and we're excited to dive into some Cubs conversation this week, talking about the NL Central, talking about some of the big prospects coming up with the voice of the Tennessee Smokies out in Knoxville, Mick Gillespie, who will join us in a few minutes. He is also the Chicago Cubs spring training broadcaster on MLB.com and does a fantastic job. My old boss as well. Had the pleasure of working with Mick last year in Knoxville alongside him on the Tennessee Smokies radio network. He does a terrific job, and he's seen a lot of the big prospects in Tennessee that are in Chicago now. Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, Javi Baez. So we're going to get... Uh, a good conversation about the National League and specifically the National League Central uh, coming up later here uh, with Mick. But if you are new to the show, first of all, welcome. Hope you'll stick around with us throughout this show. But we're going to do things like a baseball game here, and we start with the opener. Three big topics around Major League Baseball. Let's touch them all. Here we go. We open up. In the Bronx, the New York Yankees are the talk of Major League Baseball right now. And, of course, they're going to be active at the trade deadline, but they've got a new piece. Well, really, two guys that it feels like they've traded for. One of them being Giancarlo Stanton. He's back from injury, and he is going to really give a boost to a lineup that has now added Edwin 
Encarnacion, a guy who has led Major League Baseball in home runs over the past decade. Surprising, I know, but Edwin Encarnacion has been the most consistent power man in Major League Baseball since 2009. And they flexed their muscles on Wednesday against Blake Snell and the Tampa Bay race. Here's the legendary John Sterling, the first of many for Encarnacion. Pitcher at Zeals, swung on and drilled to deep right center. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. Eddie Encarnacion's first home run as a Yankee. Una celebración for Edwin Encarnacion. It's a lineup now that is murderer's row, and I think that it's safe to say that if the Yankees get some pitching, regardless of where they are right now, I think they're your favorite to at least win the AL pennant, if not the World Series. Yankees have the fourth-best record in baseball right now, and that's been without Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge for most of this season. Luis Severino, he's on the mend. He's going to be back soon as well. And they've already got a a six-and-a-half game lead in the AL East, despite a lot of their heavy hitters not even being in the lineup. So you go to the trade deadline, and I think pitching – If the Yankees can get it, and you know that Brian Cashman's not going to sit on his hands, pitching is going to be the top priority for them. And once they get it, I think the Yankees are likely your team to beat. So it looks like they're going to be enamored with Madison Bumgarner. He's been so good at the postseason, but they could maybe pursue a Marcus Stroman, a Trevor Bauer, uh, who at the age of uh, of 33 I doubt is going to be the pick. Uh, But Matthew Boyd and Zach Wheeler – uh, are also going to be a couple of picks for them, according to Joel Sherman this past week of MLB Network. Maybe Max Scherzer. That would be kind of crazy. Max Scherzer and pinstripes. We'll see. But look out uh, for those Yankees. So big question this week. What's the bigger, uh, you know, what, what's what's better? A game-tying hit in extras or a walk-off? Well, Max Kepler did both, so don't ask him. Here's how it sounded on the Twins television network. Fair ball down the line. Kepler does it. A walk-off winner in 17 innings. Yeah, Kepler did it twice. <laughs> I mean, there's players that a dream of just doing one or the other, and Kepler did, did it twice in one game. It was hours after he initially tied the game with an eighth-inning single. So really, he did it three times. Um, in sudden death, it was twice. Then it's a 13th inning homer to push Minnesota to a 4-3 win over the Red Sox and a walk-off single that you just heard in the 17th inning. The longest game in innings in target field history since the ballpark opened back in 2010. Twins loaded the bases in the 17th on a single by Luis Arias, a double by Eddie Rosario, an intentional walk to C.J. Crone. Kepler punched a single down the first baseline like you just heard against a five-man infield. We're going to talk about the shift here in a second, but I love, love beating the shift. Not a big shift guy. And uh, that set off the fireworks at Target Field at 12.55 a.m. Central. So that's 2 a.m. on the east. And uh, that's long after the, uh, the Dodgers and Giants and the likes of the West Coast teams are finishing up. According to Elias Sports Bureau, four players have had three game-tying or go-ahead hits in a game that they didn't start since the expansion era in 1961. Nobody has had more than three hits during that span. Uh, Max Kepler did it. 
Got to go back to Adam LaRoche for the Washington Nationals uh, out at Chavez Ravine back in September 2014 to get the last one. Tony Lavulo, Tori Lavulo, excuse me, and Art Shamansky back in 1966, uh, or Shamsky rather, uh, the last one to do it before that. Good company for Kepler. What a game that was in the late afternoon in the Midwest. Late morning, late night. Gosh, I don't know. You could say a lot about that. 2 a.m., that's uh, that's pretty crazy. Elsewhere, gosh, I love beating the shift. Matt Carpenter bunting for a double. Here's how it sounded on the Cardinals television network. Carpenter against the shift. Nobody there. Why not take two? It'll be the shortest double of his career standing up. Unbelievable. Why not bunt? So this is a topic we're going to get into probably in a later show in the heart of the order. Uh, I want to talk about how terrible the shift is. Uh, (laughs) I I think it kind of, I feel like it kind of cheats the game a little bit. Um, And and I love it when guys like Carpenter, some of the great power men of Major League Baseball, are willing to just lay down a bunt, right? Um, Because at the end of the day, getting on base and playing ABC Baseball, that that should be the biggest priority for what these guys are, are doing. You know, you've got the likes of a Brian Kenny on MLB Network who's going to tell you, no, let's, you know, you're still giving up a potential run or, or a double um, by bunting one down the third base line. But I think as players start to learn how to do this, the game is going to correct back to not shifting, right? I mean, it, it feels like this is a situation where the hitters, they're going to have to adjust, and then the defense is going to realize, all right, let's just play straight up like the game's been played forever. And then maybe we go back. I don't know. But I think especially if, uh, on our discussion last week, following up on that, if there is a change made to the composition of the baseball this upcoming offseason, I think teams are going to have to adapt and and be a little bit more used to not really hitting as many long balls and not bludgeoning the baseball, as Ken Rosenthal Rosenthal says on The Athletic. And uh, I think it's going to be a thing where we might see small ball make a return. Joining us this week in our Heart of the Order topic, Tennessee Smokies broadcaster up in Knoxville, Cubs spring training voice Mick Gillespie. Mick, thanks so much for joining us. How's it going? Going great. Good to talk to you. And, you know, it's baseball season. We're in full swing. So, uh, you know, it makes it busy but fun. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I want to look a little bit ahead here for your schedule right now. I saw this upcoming week is, is the famed Margaritaville night up in East Tennessee, and uh, of course, on our radio broadcasts last year, that, that was one of the highlights of the year, right, the, that, that first game, and uh, I've got to ask if this year's crew is going to be able to pull off the dance routine that we had in our, uh, our pregame on-field show last year. Yeah, well, you were part of it. You were the uh, best chicken uh, dancer <laughs> that we've ever had. I mean, we've even thought about putting, uh, you know, like a special logo together to wear on the team's jerseys mm. and, you know, and also uh, maybe painting the grass on the <laughs> field. No, <laughs> hey, we, it's so much fun. And it, for those of you that are listening right now, you're saying, what, what is, what is he talking about? Well, we, we do this Margaritaville night. It's inspired by Jimmy Buffett. And we just, for some reason, we just thought it would be fun to, um, to, you know, do a dance to a montage of Jimmy Buffett songs. And um, we had, we actually had a TV show at the time. So it was kind of hamming it up a little bit, to, to add a little spice to the TV show. But then people, I, I don't want to say people liked it, but they expected it again <laughs> last year. That's you know? right. So we did it again last year. 
uh, with uh, you know the, the broadcast crew and some of the people. Uh, but but it's not what you would think. I mean, there's you know we we make people dress up. You know, there was a, we had Chewbacca out there. We had a shark. We <laughs> it's had a motley guy crew in a parrot costume. <laughs> Will you were a chicken? And, and yep. uh, I, I think who was the other one? Blake maybe was the other chicken. Uh huh. Yep. So, and then I'm I'm just dressed up like a you know like like an, a drunk uncle at a wedding. You know, I just got my, my Hawaiian shirt on and my flip flops and, you know, and I'm out there with uh, some lays on and uh, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. I think we're going to try to do it again. So if anyone is listening to this and they're here on Saturday, um, then, then they can definitely join us uh, and watching and laughing. It's been a lot of fun. And it's always for here. It's always the, um, the, the, the biggest night of the year uh, or one of them that the stadium has. So, you know that that makes it a lot of fun too. You know because you have a big crowd. Yeah, I think it's safe to say it's one of the stronger promos for games in a, in minor league baseball, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what's cool too is that is that we have um, the the special jerseys. You know that you can buy if you're a fan. You can yeah. that right off the player's back, and and I love them because they're Hawaiian themed Smokies jerseys. You know, so I, I saw the the one that they're going to sell this year. It's pretty cool. Uh, last year was good. They had one year they had a, like a parrot, you know, like a like a bunch of parrots on mm. there. And then you know, last year it just looks like a Hawaiian shirt that's a baseball jersey. And this year it's the same thing. It's just a different color, but they're cool. Well, that'll be fun this weekend. And I want to get into some some Chicago Cubs topics here with you. And uh, of course, big series this week against the White Sox. And uh, despite the finish the other night, I, I want to start with Cole Hamels. Uh, from your perspective right now, or really just from, from anyone's perspective, I mean, how good does that trade look right now after, you know, a, a solid maybe half-season sample size? Hamels looks like the, the Cole Hamels of old right now in Wrigley. Yeah, yeah, I was so disappointed that he gave up a run, you know, because he was, what, 22 straight innings without yeah. one? Uh, we knew Cole Hamels from, you know, his time in Philadelphia. He was a great pitcher and a clutch pitcher, too, you know, and he was uh, instrumental in the Phillies winning the World Series. So, uh, he said he's always been a Cubs fan, and and last year, you know, he he helped save the season. You know, the Cubs were were a little bit thin on pitching, and then and they got him. You Darvish last season, you know, wasn't available, and so they they needed to go get someone else, and uh, and that turned out to be great. You know, and I was excited when they picked up the option on him because I figured that he was going to be able to to go out there and and continue to get outs. And what's great about Cole Hamels and pitchers like him. They, they get to the big leagues and they have, you know, just great stuff. You know, they'll overpower you with the fastball. You know, maybe they have just this amazing breaking ball. And then you get older and, and those guys adapt to the fact that they're not as strong and, and maybe they don't have the, the velocity anymore. Not to say he doesn't um, throw hard, but, you know, not not quite like he used to. And, and he's a better pitcher, you know. Hey, here's a changeup, you know, and, and I'm going to pitch off of that more. Um, so it's exciting to see what he's been able to do um, and to help this team win, you know, and the Cubs got off to a slow start and then, and they've been, you know, scuffling a little bit lately, but, um, but, you know, he's been so consistent and, uh, and it, it has turned out to be a great change. Well, well now on the other, other side of that rivalry, I, I want to also ask you about Eloy Jimenez, who <laughs> we saw last year for the Birmingham Barons, the White Sox double-A affiliate. I mean, just how good do you think that guy can be? Yeah, I mean, that's the tough part about it, you know. You you look at what you know, what he's capable of. I mean, he's a rookie and he could have been on the north side just as easy as he was on the south side. I mean, yeah. and and rarely do the Cubs and the White Sox make trades like that. So, Aloy's just a tr- tremendous talent. 
and he and he's got a lot of power. And when he came through the Southern League, I mean, he absolutely thumped us. I mean, we we couldn't get him out, and and it, you almost felt like there was a little extra fire because he had so many friends on the Smokies that were minor leaguers with him. Um, you know, like maybe he wanted to show off, but if he wasn't throwing someone out. You know, he was if he wasn't hitting a home run, he was hitting a double. You know, he just did a lot of things right, and you could tell the game looked so easy for him and, and Double A. It doesn't surprise me that the White Sox went and gave him a, a contract, a major league contract. They didn't have to, but they did, and and they may have a big piece of their future. You know, and and a lot of credit to the White Sox because after watching them and the Cubs the last couple of days, they're getting better. You know, they're a team that's that's definitely on the rise. And Aloy's one of the big reasons why. I mean, you, you put him in the lineup, and, and, I mean, he hasn't really even touched his potential yet, but he's always a threat, you know. And Pedro Stroke found that out. You know, you make a mistake to him, and he can hit it a long way. Um, and I, I don't think there's a better way, you know, or it wouldn't be a better way for him to make his presence felt than to beat the Cubs with a home run. Unfortunately, it's tough for the Cubs. But, um, you know, the front office knew what they had. Uh, but to go out and get a pitcher – you know, like Quintana, you have to give up talent, and, uh, you know, that's what it took. But on the other side of things, I mean, look at what uh, Quintana's been able to do. Look yeah. how consistent he's been, and, and he's been a big part of the Cubs winning. You know, and from the time that they got him to start the second half of the 2017 season until now, uh, he's been someone that they can rely on. And I think at the big league level, you just want to be able to throw someone in to a start or put someone in the field and know what you're going to get. You know, and, and maybe the, the results aren't going to be the same every time, but you just want to have an idea. The consistency that Quintana has given the Cubs has been tremendous. And so I guess we're all going to sit back and evaluate this trade over the course of time, right? But, but right now, I mean, if I'm the Cubs, I'm feeling pretty good about what I got. And if I'm the White Sox, I'm feeling pretty good about what I got too. And then the other part of that is we haven't seen Dylan Cease in the big leagues yet. But we know he can pitch, too. So uh, maybe in 10 years we look back and, it, and it's a tremendous trade for the White Sox. Or maybe we look back and, you know, and, and uh, Aloy and, and Dylan Cease don't you know, pan out. And, and it's, you know, it's a great trade for the Cubs. Or maybe both teams think it's a great trade. You know, that's a possibility, too. Gary Hughes, who was special assistant to Jim Hendry when he was uh, running the Cubs, told me that when you make a trade, you want both sides to win. You know, your goal yep. isn't to, you know, try to screw over the other team. You know, your, your, your goal is to be a good partner and for them to feel happy and content with the piece that they got or the pieces that they got and then the same thing for you. You know, and I think if you look at it that way, um, it, it, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't always have to be who won or lost a trade, but, you know, it could be, hey, look, you know, both sides feel really good about what they did to help their team. Yeah, and Quintana, of course, is going to be a big piece in the in the stretch run, the NL Central race. So I, I think you've kind of hit the nail right on the head there with, you know, he, he could be a big piece. And um, another big piece, Craig Kimbrell, of course. The Cubs adding him, didn't have to give up any prospects for him. And uh, it looks like the Cubs, too, are, are going to still be one of those teams. I feel like every contender in the National League right now is going to be looking for more bullpen help. Um, it, just how active do you see Chicago being in addition to Kimbrell? Do you see them maybe in the mix for another bullpen arm this July? Yeah, you know, I haven't talked with anyone in particular, you know, to say, hey, you know, Theo, what do you think you guys are going to do? Sure. <laughs> but I do pay close attention to, you know, everything that's out there. And 
the people that do really feel like the Cubs are going to be active, uh, in particular, that they're going to try to find maybe a very good left-handed pitcher that they can use late in games. You know, like Will Smith with San Francisco could be someone that the Cubs target. You know, I read a story by my buddy Patrick Mooney in The Athletic, and he's talking about, um, you know, Will Smith and, 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 the, and the pieces that the Cubs have now that they feel like they can use to get a, a, you know, a pitcher like Will Smith. Uh, the Smokies have a guy named Tyson Miller who's a prospect, and he's you know, had a tremendous season, and he's going to be a, a, you know, a piece that they could possibly move. Um, uh, Adbert Alzale is making his Cubs debut here uh, coming up. I mean, he was just added to the roster today. And, and he's got electric stuff. I'm not sure that the Cubs would move him. Uh, and they don't really, you know, at least since Theo's been there and since the team's been winning, they don't typically move players off of the major league roster unless there's a reason why. They like to keep those guys together. They like their core. They like the players that they brought up through their system. Um, you know, Azale is a pitcher that we have have looked at for a long time who has a lot of talent, but his injuries – have really kept him from being in the major leagues already. Um, but someone that other teams may covet, or maybe the Cubs do, I don't know. But I, there's enough pitching in the Cubs system right now where I really feel like they can go out and, and make a trade. Um, I don't think they have the Dylan Cease, Aloy Jimenez type guys, but I think they still have pitching that they could move to get a reliever depending on what the price is. But, I mean, at this point, you know, the Cubs window, I mean, you know, how, how open, how closed is it? You know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like this team's got a chance to win it all. And remember, in 2016, you know, they don't win the World Series, I don't think, without Chapman. So uh, you 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 got to give up to get. And the Cubs have certainly proved over the last, you know, five years that they're willing to give up some major pieces to win, uh, not just, Cease and Jimenez, but you look at Glaber Torres in New York, and then you're talking about another franchise-type player that the Cubs gave up to get Chapman. So it'll be interesting. I'm sure teams out there feel like they, they get good value back from the Cubs, and you know, you're know you adding Kimbrell to it very soon when he's ready to go, and then maybe you go out and you get you know another uh, excellent left-handed reliever, and, and you feel like you can lock down the game once you get into the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. Yeah, I know you you touched on Miller, Alzale. I know Nico Horner's another name that is one of the, kind of the big Cubs prospect names right now. And, and you've seen a lot of these big players between Chris Bryant and, and Javi Baez and Contreras. And kind of from your perspective up there in, in Kodak, who are some of these big names that, that Cubs fans need to keep an eye on uh, coming around the pipeline soon? Yeah, it's disappointing we talk about Nico Horner. He started the season here, and I thought, okay, this is going to be interesting. I mean, here's a guy that was in college last year, and, and now he's with the Smokies. Uh, but he, he can play, you know. And if I was with another team, I, you could build an infield around Nico. He, he's a tremendous uh, player. He can hit. You know, he's got the body. He just looks the part, you know, and he's smart, too. He's a, he's a, a very good leader out on the field. The problem he's had is the last two years he's gotten hurt. You know, and this year kind of a freak injury. He was hit by a pitch in uh, late April, and uh, they thought it was a hand bruise. And come to find out, it was a hairline fracture. So we haven't seen him since the end of April. And the, and you know he's a difference maker. You put him on the diamond, and, and the Smokies 
who finished under 500 for the first half. I think they had, I don't know that they would have won the half, but they, they, they would have won more games than they did. You know, they, they, they finished like, what, like three or four games under 500. They, they, they would have been over 500. I mean, he's just, he, he's the type of player where you, you put him in the lineup, you're slotting other guys down. He, he's a great defender. So maybe there's a team out there that, that says, okay, you know what? I know he's been hurt. And I don't know that this is a trend for him. I mean, it just could be, you know, a couple of freak things. But um, I wish I could tell you that he was here all year because it would have been a lot of fun to call yeah. the action with Nico. But um, he's definitely a prospect, no doubt about it. And, and he, he fits the, the, the mold of, a, of an Addison Russell to me, um, you know, a Kyle Schwarber. I, I don't put him in the Chris Bryant, Javi Baez category, but, I mean, who is in that category? Yeah, that's you know? right. <laughs> um, but, I mean, he, he's certainly a player that, that has the potential to go to the big leagues and, um, and you know, help the team win and not only maybe – at shortstop, but maybe at second base. Uh, and his hitting, I think, will, if he can stay healthy, you know, and get back in here, I think will be something that plays for a long time. So big, big news for Major League Baseball today. Jeff Passan reporting that the Tampa Bay Rays, they're, they're looking into maybe playing a half season in Montreal and a half season in Tampa. And here in Nashville, the question is going to be, all right, well, what does this mean for us to get a full season and just move a team here uh, you've been a part of kind of the, the baseball landscape, kind of the, the baseball scene in Knoxville up there. What would you think about a Major League Baseball franchise moving to Nashville, and what do you think it would take to make something like that happen? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because when uh, Smokey's owner Randy Boyd was running for governor, I had him in the booth, and I said, hey, what about Major League Baseball in Nashville? Mm. You know, And, and, and you know, I, I really think, Major League Baseball is missing one of the great markets by wasting, you know, teams in places like Oakland when they can have them or Tampa Bay, you know, when they can have them in Nashville where the, where the people are going to support the team, where the city is going to support the team. Um, you know, I've read, well, you know, we don't have the money to build the stadium. If there was, I think that if there was really a team and uh, whether it be expansion or some teams that, you know, are in markets where they can't get a stadium or they don't have fan support, um, and they put that in Nashville, I think that it would be an absolute hit. I just know it. You know, the, the way that, that, that this state and that city support the Predators, support the Titans, support the Vols, Major League Baseball would be just such a great fit. You know, it, the demographic's good. The, the, the income level's good. You got a lot of baseball fans that are around here. And, and can you imagine – some of the rivalries, the Braves and, you know, the Nashville team or the Reds and the Nashville team. I mean, that would be so much fun. Tennessee's a great state. It's an awesome place to live. And the one thing that we do is we support our own, you know. And, I, I mean, think about the fact that there's an ice hockey team. No one in this state plays ice hockey. <laughs> yeah, where are you going to go? I mean, like, there, there's, guys, yeah. there's a guy on the Smokies that grew up in Canada – that he has, he had an ice rink in his backyard four <laughs> months out of the year that he that they would just build, and I, I've heard other guys do that too. His name's Jared Young, you know, he's a first baseman, but I mean, like he grew up playing hockey. Everybody played hockey. Sure. They love hockey. You couldn't put an ice rink in your backyard here one day out of the year. <laughs> you know, yep. so like maybe maybe you could for a week, you know, like a certain week, and people still go and support that team because it's Nashville's hockey team. And you, you talk, and then about the Grizzlies, you know, over in Memphis, you know, people support them too. So 
the only major sport that we don't have in our state is Major League Baseball. And I think it's the, the sport that would do the very best. You know, baseball has a lot of problems right now. I mean, you talk about the attendance going down. They, they, you know, and then it's not with the Cubs. I mean, but, but with other franchises, you know, the, there's not as much interest. Um, you know, you, you look at Toronto, you know, even with a major prospect, you know, the, the ticket sales aren't, aren't going great. And um, the Giants aren't winning. They're, they're, you know, their revenue's down. Their ticket sales are down, although they have a huge fan base. You know, you, you can't get anyone into the Marlins games or the Tampa Bay games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Oakland has great fans, but they, they've got a stadium that's, you know, that, that's one of the worst in baseball. And I'm even counting the minor leagues, you know. So Nashville, you put one of those teams in Nashville, and I could just – I think it would be one of the most popular teams uh, in Major League Baseball. And, I, and the city's growing – and uh, and I hope that it happens one day. And I'm glad that I've, I've heard that there's some interest in bringing a, t- a major league team to Nashville. Um, and 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 but for baseball, you know, my point was this: is that baseball needs to be looking at markets like Nashville. I'll throw Charlotte in there. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of great things about Montreal. And and stop letting the other sports beat them to the punch on all these places. It's yeah. like baseball wants to just keep staying in these places where. They don't have the support of the of the, 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 the governments, the local governments, or the fans or whatever. They just stick around, stick around, stick around, and then you know, and it's like a franchise like the Marlins. They're they're getting like less people than the Smokies games sometimes, which is crazy to think about, right? Yeah. Well, it's you it's crazy to think field, you're not going to have a five thousand person crowd. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy to think that LSU outdrew the Marlins last year. Yeah, I mean, well, but but that's my point. You yeah, know? exactly. Like, the NFL is in Nashville, the NHL is in Nashville, you know, and, and Major League Baseball is not. You know, so it's like, you know, why? So whether you need to expand or figure it out, I think there's some, some Midwest markets that could really use a team. You know, and it's just baffling. Like, I, I look at, like, you know, like an Oklahoma City or a Nashville or uh, a, a Charlotte, and, and baseball is talking about Portland, Oregon, that, that – that had a minor league team and, and ran them out of town. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like it, it just you scratch your head, you know? It's like, so what I'm hoping is that, is that major league baseball will kind of be more proactive like the NFL when it comes to, to that aspect of it. And look, I understand there's a lot of things that go into it. It's hard to just add new teams and all that, but if you're going to grow your sport, you've got to expand. And and I hope that that's the direction that they go because I think Nashville should be number one on the list of cities that gets a major league team. Yeah. So kind of last question here is, it looks like it's another tight race pretty much in, in the East and the Central. It's Chicago, Milwaukee, and you know the, the the loser of the East between Philly and Atlanta. It, Washington could maybe get back in that picture, but you know it's looking like the five teams in the in the National League are are pretty much going to be the top five right now. What do you think ultimately makes the difference between Chicago and Milwaukee when it's all said and done? Because obviously Chicago is going to want to avoid that tiebreaker situation they were in last year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I think the Cubs are a better team this year, and I have a lot of respect for, for Milwaukee too. I mean, they, they've got you know Christian Yelich and Mustakas, and you, you look around the team, and there's players that know how to win there too. You know, Kane in center field; those guys won a World Series with him and Mustakas and. Uh, Kansas City, 
But I just feel like the Cubs are going to be able to go out. They're going to add Kimbrell. Hopefully he comes in healthy. And if, if Kimbrell's healthy and he's able to pitch the ninth and close those games out, it just changes everything, you know. Um, I, Javi Baez, to me, is, is the best player in the National League. Um, I know Christian Yelich is good, too, but I, I'd take Javi over Christian Yelich because of all of the other things, the intangibles that he brings to the table, you know, his base running, his defense. He plays shortstop. He plays second. He's a gold glover wherever you put him on the field. Yelich is great, too. But I, I like the Cubs rotation better. Uh, I, I, I like the fact that Joe Madden's their manager. I think that Joe Madden's got something to prove this year. He's, he's in the last year of his contract. There's, there's no extension right now. And, and I, I think the guys in that clubhouse want him back. You know, he's, he's part of their team, and, and, and they, they want to win as badly as for him as they do for themselves, if not more. So I like all of those things. Uh, the Cubs have won the World Series. They know what it's all about. They didn't like the way that things ended last year. Chris Bryant's healthy again. And you forget about that. You know, they, they won all those games last year, 95 of them, and they didn't have Chris Bryant healthy for most of the season. You know, he's back. KB's doing his thing. Um, Anthony Rizzo. There's just so many good players. And I'm, and I'm curious to see what the Cubs do as far as, the uh, trade deadline is concerned and maybe adding another arm. But going out and getting Kimbrell tells me that they think they have a chance to win it this year. And they're paying him a lot of money over the next three seasons to be their closer. You're not doing that if you don't think you have a chance to win right now. And then they're, they're one of the high, they got one of the highest payrolls in baseball. And I was surprised that they made that move, to be honest with you, because they're spending so much money. But they're competitive. They're playing hard. They need one piece. You know what? And, and Tom Ricketts, the owner of the team, is a huge Cubs fan. You know, he loves the team. Not just the business aspect of it and making money, but he's just a Cubs fan. He's been a Cubs fan his entire life. And when you have a, a, an owner that also is a fan of the team, you know, they go out of their way to uh, to help that team win. And, and the Cubs are just so lucky to have Tom Ricketts. And, I mean, he's been a difference maker from the very top and people can look at everything that's happened and it goes back to the day that he became an owner. I mean, and compare that to some other ownership changes, but look at other teams that have had ownership changes and, and you look at all of the progress on and off the field that the Cubs have had, it goes right back to Tom Rickett. So um, I, that tells me that, that this team is, uh, is built to, to win it all. They think they're going to win it all. And I mean, I'm not going to bet against them. Well, good insight there, Mick. And I've got to tell you, this has been a good scouting report for me. I haven't mentioned this to you yet. I'm going up to Wrigley this this next week for the first time. Uh, going to go see Cubs and Braves on Monday. So uh, excited about that and excited to go uh, to go see the friendly confines up there. Well, make sure you say hi to Len Casper, my spring training broadcast partner, and all the guys there. And then uh, Ben Ingram, yeah. who's done a tremendous job on Braves games. Um, we, were, uh, we spent the All-Star break in Perdido Key, a little vacation. Ooh, and every nice. day I would drive back, uh, back and forth. Well, when the Smokies were playing the, the Wahoos, I would drive back and forth. Ben would be on the air, and it was just so fun to, to listen to him doing his play-by-play with Jim Powell and the, and the rest of the crew there. Um, so if you see Ben, make sure you tell him I said, hey, yo, and wink at him. He'll know what you're talking about. <laughs> I will, I will. Hey, great to hear from you, Mick. Appreciate the time, and uh, good luck the rest of the season up there in, uh, in Knoxville. Yeah, no problem. All right, that's Mick Gillespie, voice of the Tennessee Smokies, here in the heart of the order on the Strike Zone podcast. Okay, me.
out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Into our seventh inning stretch here on episode two of the Strike Zone podcast. Really good to hear from Mick Gillespie, my old broadcast partner up in Knoxville, Tennessee. And one thing that we always did in our broadcasts, and something Mick still does, is this day in baseball history. So I'm going to go with this week in baseball history from 45 years ago for this week's stretch topic. 45 years and one week since Nolan Ryan, in my opinion, pitched maybe the most impressive game in all of baseball. Back in 1974, Ryan threw 235 pitches, taking the mound for the Angels on June the 14th, 1974. The future Hall of Famer struck out 19 Red Sox hitters over 13 innings. Just incredible. In the California Angels, 4-3, 15-inning victory out there in California. Most eye-popping stat from Ryan's outing, might be his, his pitch count, 235, which he says is maybe plus or minus. He wasn't even keeping track, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, some context, though, on just how good Nolan Ryan was. This was the second of Ryan's three 19 strikeout performances. Not his career, no, in, in 1974. <laughs> I mean, that that's just stupid. Stupid. And he finished that season... With 367 punch-outs, which is 16 shy of the all-time record that he set oh, the, the year before, back in 73. Just incredible. Uh, his opponent, Luis Tiant, went 14 and a third before surrendering Denny Doyle's walk-off double in the bottom of the 15th inning. Now, Nolan Ryan told uh, a newspaper reporter in 2004 that he heard this number from his pitching coach, Tom Morgan, who kept track on a handheld clicker. Now, I think old Tom, old Tom, his thumb was probably worn out for for seasons, for weeks. (laughs) I think Tom probably needed five days rest after that start. Now, Ryan said, I I think he did it out of, I don't know, curiosity or what, is what he says. But it's a hard number to debate because Ryan faced 58 batters, 10 of them reaching via walk, including one with the bases loaded in the top of the fourth over the course of the inning. Now, full pitch count data goes back to 1988. That's Tim Wakefield's 172-pitch, 10-plus inning start for the Pirates against the Braves, the most exhaustive on record. Uh, so that's that's where the official stats kind of start. You've got Edwin Jackson's 149-pitch no-hitter for the D-backs back in 2010. That makes him the highest pitch count of this decade. And then six pitchers, that's Mike Fires, Adam Wainwright, Trevor Bauer, Stephen Matz, Max Scherzer and Lance Lynn have even reached 120 this year. I mean, incredible stuff from a guy that uh, we're never going to see again, somebody like Nolan Ryan. Just 22 of the 2042 Major League games this season have even seen a complete game. So Ryan said, uh, back in those days, I was my own closer. And he's right. He made his next start, too, against the Yankees on three days rest. <laughs> three days rest and finished the season with 26 complete games, which wasn't even the most in the American League. Ryan went on to pitch 19 more Major League seasons, including past his 46th birthday, and he threw his record seventh no-hitter at the age of 44. So uh, the term quality start 
certainly had a different definition back when Ryan was on the bump. And uh, a good piece from MLB.com to highlight this incredible, incredible performance back by Nolan Ryan. Of course, with last week being Father's Day, uh, my favorite stat of the week is also Nolan Ryan-based. Fathers and sons struck out by Nolan Ryan. Listen to this list. Sandy Alomar Sr. and Jr., Roberto Alomar, Bobby and Barry Bonds, Tito and Terry Francona, Ken Griffey Sr. and Jr., Hal McRae, Brian McRae, You've got Tony Perez and Eduardo Perez, Ducky Schofield and Dick Schofield, and then Mari Willis, w- Wills and Bump Wills. I mean, Nolan Ryan, tip your cap, to, tip my cap to you, sir. There will never, ever, be number one, an, another one like you. And that's uh, that's the stretch for this week's Strike Zone podcast. Number Mariano Rivera, number forty-two. So into the bottom of the frame, Ariana Rivera taking the mound. Best to ever do it. Here's our closer topic, and I had one all picked out, and and this is some some kind of how the show is made here. Uh, I'm driving into our Cumulus Nashville studios, getting ready to record this week's show, and I see the story that we mentioned earlier with Mick from Jeff Passan that the Tampa Bay Rays are going to look into possibly half of the season in Montreal and half of it in Tampa Bay. And I thought this would be a good way to finish off the show this week with a closer topic that just makes no sense. Imagine you are a, an up-and-coming prospect. Maybe you're, you're the starting first baseman right now for the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, say you're Brandon Lau, big-time prospect. Are you going to find a house in Montreal and Tampa? How does that work? You know, I mean, under the plan, according to Passon's article, the Rays would play early season home games in the Tampa Bay area and the remainder of the year in Montreal with both cities, both cities, getting new stadiums. Now, Rob Manfred refers to the project as a long-term idea, a long-term prospect. I mean, look, baseball's got a lot of issues. You know, we talked about it with Mick. I don't think having a team in two cities is going to fix any. I think it's going to create more issues. You look at a Nashville, you look at a Charlotte, maybe an Oklahoma City, Omaha even, a TD Ameritrade Park for the for the temporary time being. I mean, you have got cities that could really support a team year-round. Why make it hard on the players? Why make it hard on the fans to build two new stadiums? It just doesn't add up. And I don't know how you can – we see this right now in Nashville building the new soccer stadium. I don't know how you could sell a city uh, – how, how do you sell a municipal government on spending millions and millions and millions of dollars for only 40 games a season? It, it doesn't make sense. I don't think it will happen. I think Nashville or Charlotte would get a team before Tampa and Montreal split. Maybe they figure it out. I don't know. But as I mentioned with Mick, uh, our closer topic was making my first trip to Wrigley this week. If you've got a big recommendation, if you've got an idea, where should I go? Who should I go see? You know, all this stuff about Wrigley Field, going up to the friendly confines. I'm anxious to hear it. Uh, it got me thinking about some of my bucket list ballparks. We're going to do a big ballpark discussion on some of the coolest parks in baseball next week. Uh, let me know. I'm at Will underscore, Will underscore Bowling on Twitter, Bowling 
like uh, Thompson Bowling Arena in Knoxville, not like the sport. That's B-O-L-I-N-G. Hit me up. Let me know your Wrigley experience. Give me your best old-school baseball experience. I want to hear all that. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Be sure to send me a message, too, on how we're doing, what you want to see from the show, and we'll do our best here to make it happen. But until next Thursday, this has been the Strike Zone Podcast right here on 104.5 The Zone.